God's grace, peace, and mercy be with you today. We come together on this beautiful summer morning. And as I mentioned at the beginning, we're going to do a little voting today. We all vote from time to time in elections or in choices or even the church. We have a voters' meeting. We call it a voters' meeting. That means you give your choices at the voters' meeting about budgets, about people elected to offices, about programs, about things we're going to do, the course of action we want to take as a church. We vote. We do a lot of voting. As I said, it's by ballot or voice um, or by raising your right hand. And sometimes we don't know what we're voting for, even in the political realm or in the church. We don't do the study like we should or what the Word of God really says or what I really what do I really believe? Do I know? What are my choices? What are my wishes? A couple of incidences I would like to share with you to show you that sometimes people aren't prepared to vote. In 1883, in Allentown, New Jersey, there was an election for the Justice of the Peace. Abner Rollins won the election by nine votes. Nine votes over the other opponent, but he won the election. In 1938, in Wilton, Washington, Boston Curtis won the election for a position that he was running for on the ballot in town. Now, the strange thing about this, the Justice of the Peace, Abner Rollins, was a wooden Indian, the kind that you see in front of guitar sto cigar stores years ago that stood out there, that big wooden statue. That's who Abner Rollins was, who became the Justice of the Peace. Or Boston Curtis, who ran for a position, was a mule. But these people, these names were entered on the ballots to see if people were paying attention, and they found out they weren't so much. They weren't seen to care to find out what they were voting for or who they were voting for. And sometimes even in the spiritual realm, in the church. We're not always quite sure, or maybe we haven't got it straight. And so in scripture readings today, I point out a few interesting things so that we get the right vote, so that you vote correctly. Notice in the gospel lesson we heard today about Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee. He's a church leader who should know what's going on. But he wants to hear from Jesus because he knows there's something special about this. Jesus. And Jesus tells him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's an interesting statement. Born again? See the kingdom of God? Too often I think we think the kingdom of God means see heaven. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. Yes, it includes that. But if you know what Jesus said, he says, go out and preach the kingdom of God is here. We pray that kingdom come the Lord's prayer. The kingdom of God is right here now in this church service, sitting right here. You're part of the kingdom of God, if you believe, if you're a follower of Jesus. The kingdom of God is wherever Christians are, in your home, you. You're part of the kingdom of God by virtue of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, you've got to be born again if you're going to enter the kingdom of God. Now Nicodemus says, ooh, how's that going to work, Jesus? I'm an old man. How am I going to get back in my mother's womb and be born again? 
He's confused. He doesn't quite get it. Jesus points out to Nicodemus, you have to be born of the Spirit and of the water. He says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. When were you born again? Are you born again? We don't use that expression too often, but it's very biblical. Jesus said, you got to be born again before you can get into the kingdom of God. How did you get into the kingdom of God? You got there by virtue of probably, most of you, by your baptism, because you were brought to the baptismal font, and you were baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you became a child of God, and the Holy Spirit came into you and lives and dwells in you. Or maybe you came in later in life, and you came by faith. You came by believing first, because you heard the good news of Jesus, and you said, I believe. And the moment you believe, you come into the born-again category. You become part of the kingdom of God. So hopefully, we're all born again sitting here today. Could be that somebody's not born again yet. But if you are born again, it's when you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. But there has to be two births in you. Your physical and your spiritual. A spiritual birth is crucial in our lives. And that's what we want to look at for a moment today. People are really searching today. People are not tying into the church so much, the denominations or the local congregation, but people are saying, we're spiritual. We're, we, 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 we won't mind following Jesus, but we don't want to be in an organized church. That's something the church has to address in the future, but Interesting that people are looking for something, looking for answers today. Maybe you've got some friends that are, some relatives that are, maybe you are. What are the situations in our life? It's interesting, if you, I don't know if you saw in the local news or not, but people are searching so much that it's an interesting event happening in southern Oregon in the town of Bandon on the coast. They are actually circles in the sand that are being drawn, labyrinths that volunteers are making under the guidance of someone who says he's spiritual. It didn't say he's Christian, but he said he's spiritual. A labyrinth is something you walk through and walk around and pray as you go or meditate or think. And there used to be, in the early churches, they had them in their church basements sometimes. Some churches make them out on their, their, their yards, their lawns. Uh, when we have our prayer re retreat at the coast in our district, we, have, we make one in the sand also for people to walk. They're fine, they're good, they're meditating places. But these, these uh, labyrinths down in, uh, in uh, Bandon are drawing 400 people a day now this, winter, or this summer. And they're only on certain days, but they're advertised. And people are flocking there, parking, parking is getting congested because people are coming because they're searching as the... Uh, person that says he makes them, has 20 volunteers, he says, people are stressed out today, and they're recovering from COVID, and they need something to find. They're heartbroken. They need, they're looking for healing, physical, spiritual, mental, emotional. They're looking for something, and they come to walk the labyrinth, to find some healing. You see, people are searching today. 400 people a day, they say. And by the way, if you no, there's one locally in the hospital here in Meridian Park has one in the hospital for patients or for visitors who are coming to see patients. 
It's outside, it's out there for the, in the basement door, and you can go out there and walk it. I've walked it a couple times when I've made calls on people there and just walked it for the experience. But you don't have to go to a labyrinth to find what you need. You find it inside. Born again. Born of the Spirit. Notice the Old Testament reading. Isaiah says it to us, then and now, seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. Yeah, seek him now. Call him right now. He's here. He's here in this worship service among us. We're all part of the kingdom of God. If you're outside the kingdom, now's a chance to call out and seek him. Isaiah calls his people to do this. Seek the Lord. And then he quotes the last verse of that Old Testament reading. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's thoughts are beyond our comprehension, but he is thinking about you. You are important right now in this moment as you sit here as members of the kingdom of God. Amazing, isn't it? I'm sure most of us, all of us, maybe have sought the kingdom of God. We've sought the Lord. But Paul makes it clear in the epistle lesson today, which you heard read, of something very important that we talk about a lot, but don't always quite maybe grasp it. And I'd like to make sure that you grasp that this morning and vote for the correct answer. A lot of times, when we have a vote, sometimes even in the voters' meeting, we say, raise your right hand if you're in favor of the motion or whatever. And raising your right hand is a custom that goes back to 17th century London. And the raising of the right hand is still done today in voting or in the court procedure when you sort of tell the truth, nothing but the truth. But it has an interesting history because it started this way. Back then in the 17th century, if you got, if you got arrested for a crime and it was your first offense, you could ask that the pastor of the church, if you're a Christian and belong to the church, you could say, I want my pastor to give me the sentence, not the judge in the municipal court. Because the pastor would probably be more lenient and forgiving. And so people could say, I want the pastor to give the sentence. That lasted for a few years, but wasn't kept. But the raising of the right hand has been kept. But what was interesting back then if you said, I want the pastor to give me the sentence, then you were branded on your right thumb, a brand symbol was put on your thumb, burned on your thumb, because you could only do it once. And so if you came back to the court and wanted to ask the pastor to give your sentence, you had to raise your right hand and show your thumb, and if you had a brand on it, you couldn't call on the pastor to give you the sentence. You had to have the judge do it. And so the brand on the thumb said you can only do it once, and that was raising the right hand to look at your thumb. Well, we raise the right hand today to ask God to be with us and open our hands to him and say, this is my vote, this is my wish, this is my choice. Now notice, this is an, one of the most beautiful passages that Paul writes when he writes in the Ephesians. He says, because of the great love with which he loved us. How much does God love you? We can't even begin to comprehend it. Do you know that God loves you? If so, raise your right hand. 
Yeah, you know that God loves you, right? God loves you so much. Now, how does this work? Well, Paul describes it in his writing to the Ephesians and to us. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. That famous expression. So you see, does that mean that God's grace, his love for us, saves us maybe 60% of the time, and 40% is up to us to be good and nice and do what we're supposed to do. Is that right? No, right? Grace is 100%. God's love, his forgiveness, is for all your past, present, and future. Doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, who you are, his love is so immense. All sin is wiped clean in your life if you're born again, if you have Jesus Christ in your heart and life. And he says, For by grace you have been saved, notice through what? Faith, right? Do you have faith? Yeah, faith means you believe. What do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and paid for all your sins, shed his blood, that you could be forgiven totally and completely? If you believe that, then you have eternal life. You have the kingdom of God. You have the kingdom of God right now. Now, if that's all done and good and done, then why do I do good works? Am I supposed to do good works? Yes. For my salvation? No. But notice, Paul writes, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk. In them. By grace, you're saved through faith to do good works. Yeah, right. Do good works. What are, what are good works? What, is it, what does he mean? Well, if we look at the Bible, Jesus summarizes it in, in a couple of thoughts. He says, love God above all things and love your neighbor as yourself. So that means we care about each other. We want our neighbors to be saved. We want the good news to be spread. We want peace and harmony among us. We want God's love to spread. We want his love to be known. It becomes our job to proclaim it then. And notice even last Sunday's gospel lesson, how it concluded, and how what Jesus did to send his disciples out on a mission. After they were saved, and Jesus had gone to all the world and proclaimed the gospel, he also said two other things. Heal the sick and cast out the demons. Now, did you come to church today expecting someone to come up here and get their demon cast out? Probably not. But maybe we should have. Did you come here today expecting someone to come up and say, pray for me, I'm sick? and God would heal them. 
not, but maybe we should. Maybe we've left that part out of or some of our ministry and don't take it seriously. Well, you say, well, there's no demons out there today. They're not like that. And yes, there are demons. It's all the demonics. Demonic things are happening all around us, especially in addictions. People are addicted to various things. Maybe you've got an addiction that is troubling you and bothering you. People are addicted to drugs, both good, prescription, and non-prescription. People can be addicted to alcohol, to pornography, to food, to being rich, to wanting more things and different things. The social media, to your smartphone, to your computer, these can all be addictions that take your time, your energy, and become your God. Those are the addictions that we need to cast out. People can have them cast out if they take it seriously, if we are out there doing the good works that we are called to do. A pastor friend of mine shared with some of us last week when we were having a Bible study on Zoom, and we're talking about sharing God's word, but he said an interesting thing happened to him last week. He went out for his daily walk, and he's walking down the street, and this couple comes towards him, and they stop and have a few pleasantries, and the young girl says to him, are you a Christian? And he thought he was going to get some kind of a lecture on, on being saved, and he said, yes, and he says, she said, do you believe in Jesus? And he said, yes. She says, well, we do too, but we're addicted to illegal drugs, and we can't get off of them. Would you please, right now, pray for us? He was taken back. Somebody asked him on the street, pray for me to be relieved of my addiction of drugs. And he said, of course. And there on the sidewalk on the street in Portland, he prayed that this couple would be delivered from their addiction of drugs. I hope they were, because they certainly could be. God could have delivered them right then and there. But interesting that they stopped him and asked, pray for us. Pray for us to be delivered from our addiction. And he did. And maybe today you're sitting here and you have a burden on your heart. Maybe you have a burden for someone. Or maybe you've got an addiction that you keep secret, but you know about it. Maybe you want deliverance. Maybe you want a healing for someone or a healing for you. But the main thing is, you can pray to the Lord for that. That's part of who we are because of our faith, because of the new birth we have in Jesus Christ, because we have the Spirit of God in us as Christians who have opened our hearts to the Lord. And so, as Paul writes to the Ephesians and to you and to me, by grace you have been saved through faith. And then it says we are his workmanship. We've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. And Isaiah says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. God is near, right here, right now, in this worship service. I'm not going to ask you to say this out loud, but I'm going to give you a prayer. And you can fill in the blank silently. Maybe you want deliverance from some addiction. 
So we pray, Lord Jesus, deliver me from my, and you can name it or name it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for delivering me. Or maybe you desire a healing from some physical ailment, an illness, or disease. We pray, Lord Jesus, deliver me from my, whatever illness or disease it is. Thank you, Jesus, for your healing. And maybe there's somebody that you want to pray for that needs salvation, that is hung up and caught in some addiction and hasn't voted for Jesus to be their Savior. Pray for them now. Lord Jesus, deliver and name the name of the person from their sins and give them new life. Thank you, Jesus. And maybe you know someone who's sick or hurting physically. Pray for them now. Lord Jesus, heal. Thank you, Jesus, for your healing power. This is the good news that we have. This is what we vote for. This is what we wish. This is my wish for you, that as you go through life, that you draw closer and closer to Jesus Christ that you find your comfort and peace in him. Because ultimately, we're in this kingdom of God now, and we will be in his kingdom in heaven forever, someday where there's no more sickness, no more disease, no more addictions. What a blessing that will be. But in the meantime, we're on a journey to reach out to one another. And it's the unity of the kingdom of God working together that makes a difference in the world. It makes a difference in this church. It makes a difference in who we are. We need each other's prayers. We need each other's comfort. We need each other's peace. We need the word of God to be in each one of us. And to all that, we can all say, yes, I agree. And we all can say amen. We say amen together. Amen. We vote with our amen. We say amen, I believe. And that's the good news. So, one more question. You were born again. Right? Say amen. Amen. You have new life in Jesus Christ. If so, say amen. Amen. And I'm here for the work to do good works that Jesus gives me to do. Say amen. amen. Thank you for your vote. Thank you for your ministry. Thank you for your love. And may God bless you as you continue your love and service to him.